The idea of this podcast is simple, discipleship. We want to bring the gospel message about how to interact with your coworkers, your culture, your friends, everyone around you in a biblical way, which is, in essence, discipleship. What did Jesus do when he came to this earth? He took the devil's stuff. The Bible actually teaches that the world is becoming increasingly covered with the knowledge of the glory of God. That should change everything in the mind of a Christian. Instead of thinking about all the ways society is failing, we should think about all the ways society must be, as Psalm 1101 tells us, put underneath the feet of Jesus in victory. The Rebel Podcast. We would be honored if you would join us. The following is a letter by a missionary, Adoniram Judson, a letter from him to a potential father-in-law. I have now to ask whether you can consent to part with your daughter early next spring to see her no more in this world. Whether you can consent to her departure to a heathen land and her subjection to the hardships and suffering of a missionary life. Whether you can consent to her exposure to the dangers of the ocean, to the fatal influence of the southern climate of India, to every kind of want and distress, to degradation, insult, persecution, and perhaps a violent death. Can you consent to all of this for the sake of him who left his heavenly home and died for her and for you for the sake of perishing, immortal souls, for the sake of Zion and the glory of God? Can you consent to all of this in hope of soon meeting your daughter in the world of glory with a crown of righteousness brightened by the acclamations of praise which shall resound to her Savior from heathens saved through her means from eternal woe and despair. Welcome to the Rebel Podcast. P Nate, Elder P, Wetsy, Graj Mahal. Here we are. Hope you heard those words. That lands heavy, eh? It does land heavy. I know you've heard this before. I think I've used it in a sermon before. But uh, so this is Adoniram Jedson. He sent this letter to uh, Mr. Hasseline, Mr. Hasseline's daughter, Anne did in fact marry Mr. Judson and uh, became a missionary's wife. They went over and began doing missions, first in India and then to Burma. Eventually, she did die in the mission fields. They had 13 children together, many of whom went on to be missionaries in even more dangerous climates, some pastors and some married missionaries and pastors. Mm. So we start with that. We're doing this little mini-series on marriage, and what we kind of teased out is that we want to at least do two episodes on mission and on sex. And one of the things that we said last week was that a man without a mission is a man who's unfit to be married. And so we read that letter to you because it's a man who understood his call in life. And as hard as it would have been, I have two daughters, to get that letter and to consent to your daughters being taken, especially at that time, a couple hundred years ago, when missionary life, there wasn't FaceTime, there wasn't all that kind of stuff. Like you were literally consenting to having your daughter be taken and dying. Yeah, he said that to see her no more on this life, in this life. And yet, imagine the difficulty of of a father giving his daughter away to a man like that. 
and yet the pride that goes along with the understanding that she's actually found a man who understands God's mission in the world and so loves it that he is willing to give up his life like his savior to go where there's danger in order to expand the boundaries of Christ's kingdom. And you're like, man, there's a man who understands mission. Amen. When you get those letters for, <laughs> for your little two, you signing off? <laughs> I, I would have to. Yeah, I, I, I absolutely. I mean, I love my daughters, but I love the mission of God and, and any part that they could play in that. Yeah, I mean, I think that's the hope. And I, I tell my, my daughters this all the time that I will not give you away to a man unless his mission in life is better suited for you than mine. <laughs> I mean, obviously, I'm also raising my daughters to be theologically astute, to be strong, to be courageous. And so I say to Brand them... Brand for the gift of signal, singleness. <laughs> <laughs> well, and I, I say to them all the time, I'm like, you don't marry a man who isn't as strong as you are. And they're going to be strong girls. You don't marry a man who doesn't know more about God and his word than you do. They're going to be well-educated in theology and, and the word of God. You don't marry a man who can't throw a baseball further than you. And they both got pretty good arms. So I, I just say all that to say the high goal of marriage is a man who can lead and a man cannot lead a strong woman without being a strong man. Amen. And I think one of the things that we often think about backwardly is we think that the Christian idea of male leadership is one that denigrates women. And no, 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 we're, we're not saying that women ought not to be strong and courageous and theologically astute. They should be all of those things. That actually just raises the bar for manhood. We aren't trying to lower the bar for women. We're trying to raise the bar for men. And I would just say, women, you ought to be as strong and courageous and theologically astute as you possibly can be, and then not marry somebody who is beneath that. Okay, so let's talk about mission. We said last time, so just uh, summarize kind of what we said last time and, and launch us into this conversation, Chris. A man without a mission is not a man who's worthy to be married. Go. Absolutely. Man's not, without a mission, isn't worthy to be married. A woman should link themselves to a man with a, with a direction, with a path, with a goal. I mean, that goal should be to the expanse of the kingdom. We're not talking about a man who... Has a five-year plan. Yeah, five-year plan to get his 401k. Right. Who cares about their vocation? Who cares? Like, those things are secondary issues. Right. We're talking specifically about a, a plan and how he wants to raise his family, how he wants to build the kingdom of God, how he sees your marriage fit into that. Yep. If you could boil it down, I'd say marry a man with a mission statement. There you um, go. Who says, this is my life verse. This is what we're going for. Jeremiah 29, um, 11. <laughs> <laughs> if it's that run. <laughs> my favorite part Sorry. about that is that wet in the background. Yeah, like, ah. yeah. <laughs> like, um, but no, that's the, that's the goal, right? And that, that's like, Probably date three question that you need to you need to find out is yeah. like okay what what's what, what's, what's your, your intention about? for me but what's your intentions for the world? It's okay if his if his answer is like I don't know how this is going to work out, but this is my direction. This is where I'm going. Yeah. If his only answer is well Joshua twenty four fifteen I, I don't know, but <laughs> as for me and my house, we're going to follow the Lord. You're probably going to be on on the right track. Yep. That's the goal, the mandate, the mission. Take dominion. Right. Push back the darkness. Yeah. Wherever you go. And what I would say to women is that does not mean that a good and a godly wife cannot come and help refine the mission of a man, right? That's actually what you're there for. But the point is, is that what you're not doing is you're not marrying a man whose mission you're going to fix, 
you're not marrying a man who needs to be fixed up. You're marrying a man who is moving in the direction that you want to go in with. Because scripture does have things to say to you. You are to submit to him. You are to respect him. Those things don't come with caveats. It's not submit to him if he's really, really leading in the right direction. It's not respect him if he's really, really respectable. Now, don't get me wrong. Your allegiance to Christ does supersede, right? So a man cannot tell you not to go to church or not to go to that church or whatever. A man can't tell you those things because Christ is your head and Christ is to be his head, and, and so he is to be in submission there. And there are all kinds of nuances, and maybe we'll do a Q&A episode after this or, or something about some who might have questions about what submission to a uh, maybe an ungodly husband looks like and all that kind of stuff. But our point here in saying this is that before you're commanded to submit, you are given the privilege to choose. You choose the man that you are to submit to. You choose the mission to link your life to. And so choose wisely. Yeah. That's a key part in all this wives submit to your husbands and stuff like that. We often think that that's like a, like the blanket submission is, is submission. That's, that's a, that's a given. That's a, that's a call that's going to happen. But we forget that the wife has the right to choose who that's she's right. doing that with. You know, I often make the joke, I pray constantly for Heather's second husband. Um, so when I die young <laughs> and Heather gets remarried, because like, good luck. You know what I mean? And I don't mean that in like, Heather's amazing, but I mean like, you talked about like, like a, a woman, like be a theologian, be like yeah. saying had like, it takes work to stay ahead. You know what I mean? In that situation, in that situation. So I would say like, that's the kind of mandate we we want in a, in a woman when they're submitting to a husband, they're submitting to somebody that they will willingly follow. If you think back, I think we did this episode about 20 episodes ago and we talked about Tom Bobadil. Yeah. The fascinating part in that whole story, if you guys aren't familiar with that story in Lord of the Rings is his wife. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like Goldberry. <laughs> because that's, I love Goldberry. That, exactly. The, the picture that he's, that Tolkien's playing on there is that sea demon who kills every man who tries to come into her, into her world. But Tom Bombadil, because of the way he was living his life on mission, taking dominion, she willingly submitted to him and she was tamed, a delight. He tamed her. He tamed her. He tamed her. Right. And nobody I, could tame old Tom. That's <laughs> right. That's right. It's interesting because, you know, I use this analogy often when I'm talking about my wife, who I, I have great affection for. I love Colleen. She's strong. She's capable. And what I say, she's fierce. what I say, yeah, she's fierce. What I say to guys, you don't want a weak wife. You want a wife who is that wild, you know, and, and I get you're kind of mixing the metaphors here in terms of stallion, but like you want that wild stallion that you need to tame, right? So like, and the thing is, is like we have men, so I'll talk to the young men in particular, we have a tendency to shy away from strong, capable women. And we do that because it's an insecurity. We're yes. not sure that we stack up well to them. And so then we set the bar low. We look for a woman who's maybe more shallow or whatever. So we begin to look for the wrong things. And what I would just say is that if you can learn to tame a strong woman and have her gladly submit to you, then you've already started in a good place. You're starting your marriage in a good place. That is a great picture because there is that sort of like, Goldberry is dangerous. She's dangerous to men. And yet Tom Bombadil was able to tame her where she loves him and he loves her. And there's this understanding that she comes into the home that he's created where he's taken perfect dominion. So now she can rest in a home where because there is a stronger entity than her who has tamed her wildness. That's a beautiful picture. Yeah. And she's completely content. Yeah in that role and in that relationship because he's properly on mission to take taking dominion of his area and she's gladly because she's been wired to submit and to help him in that in that endeavor yeah when choosing a spouse when you identify what the mission is 
is that a mission that aligns up with you? You know what I mean? Like, does right. that, is that like, if the gentleman's mission is, I want to build a big company, yada, yada, yada. Yep. I'm not doubt, like, feel free, men, to build big companies, but that can't be your primary goal. If that's the mission and you're, you want to go on missions, those missions don't align, right? Like, yep. and so figure that stuff out. One of the first things that I would encourage every man to do is figure out what your life is about, right? Figure out what your mission is. Now, big picture, every man is made for dominion. That is your God-given mission, to take dominion of the world around you. So your mission statement can't just be to take dominion. I mean, it can be, but that's pretty vague. So like, for example, in our house, we tell the kids this all the time, that the, the kind of mission of our family is to expand Christ's kingdom, right, by sharing what Jesus has done for us. So the whole idea of sharing the story of Jesus is actually what we say. So the idea is like, my kids understand we are expanding Christ's kingdom, right? And we're expanding that by sharing the story of Jesus. So that means that neighbors who don't know about Jesus, we tell them about Jesus. Family members who haven't submitted to Jesus, we urge them to submit to Jesus. When people come into our home, they recognize that the law of King Jesus, the rules of King Jesus hold sway in our homes. And so when somebody comes in and does something that we don't allow, my kids won't just say, my mom and dad don't allow that. They will say, Jesus doesn't allow that, right? Like they understand that mom and dad's role is to help them be obedient to their king. We tell them all the time that they belong to Jesus, not to us, but God has given us the job of making sure that they are are raised into the the men and women that God has called them to be. So just that understanding of what we're about now. So then I can draw a straight line from everything that we do. We we generally set Friday nights aside or Saturday Friday nights are are sort of uh, oftentimes our movie night or our whatever. We'll set that time aside and our, I can draw a straight line from the things that we do as a family to how it fulfills the mission. And we're constantly telling our kids those things. Like, it's important for us to understand that. Like, and I think about this recently, obviously the the church has grown immensely and you and I have had this conversation several times because I would say that both of our wives are homebodies by nature. Fair? Amen. (laughs) And that's a good thing. That means that that we have helped cultivate a home where they enjoy being, right? That's not an anti-social-ness. But what I would say is that opening up our homes, having people in, being hospitable, going to other people's houses, being hospitable is something that our wives have both needed encouragement to do, right? And so I would just say that one of the things like for two women who naturally would love to just stay home and just be with family, the ability to be hospitable and to respond well to other people's hospitality, take our family, uh, go to other people's home, open up our home frequently, that happens not because I say to Colleen, hey, we need to do this, or hey, we should really have that new family over, or hey, whatever. It's because she can draw a straight line from why we do that thing to how it connects to the mission of our family and to the mission of God. Mm. It colors everything that you do. And, And if you're not having those kinds of conversations, connecting the things that you do as a family, why is it that you set this time aside as a family? Why is it that you have frequent sex as a married couple? We're going to talk about that a little bit next week. Why is it that you discipline your kids consistently in such and such a way? Why does the discipline in your home for your children match the sin that they've committed, right? So when they when corrupting talk, which Ephesians tells us, Ephesians 4 tells us, let no unwholesome or corrupting talk come out of your mouth. When there's corrupting talk that comes out of their mouth, they get their mouths 
cleaned out with soap. When they are in high rebellion to their parents, they get spanked, right? There's a consistent, when they steal something from somebody else, they get something taken away from them. So they understand punishment fits the crime. Why? Because we are trying to train you to be the kinds of men and the kinds of women who can expand the mission of our family in the families that you create in your own. Even my son, I've told this story before, so for those listeners who have heard it before, I tell my son all the time, we are struggling a little bit with him just in terms of kind of cleanliness in general making his bed was a big deal and he never wanted to make his bed and and he would complain that he couldn't quite get his bunk bed right so he couldn't get the covers you know done neatly and he'd get upset that the wrinkles are there he's got a bit of OCD in him but anyway so like Colleen tried the chore charts and the reward system and all these things but this was one area where he was just not having any of it which is weird because he's actually our clean naturally our cleanest kid like in terms of like tidying up his room and stuff like that but the bed was a struggle and so I just sat him down and I told him hey listen bud one day, God is going to call you, as he calls every man, to walk to go outside of this house into the dark, chaotic world and to take dominion. Like our job, and I connected it to Eden, and I talked about Adam and all this stuff, and, and Adam's mandate was to go out into the chaos and to bring order to the chaos and all this kind of stuff. And you get them all amped up as a man. You speak to him as a young man. And I said, but right now, the only authority that you have, the only jurisdiction you have is what I give to you because everything in this house belongs to God and he's given it to me. So it belongs to me, not to you. But I am giving you authority over this bed, which means I want you to take dominion of this bed every single day. And that means you need to bring order to chaos. And right now your bed is in chaos. Go bring order to it. And it was funny, just the, uh, the, literally a day later, I was getting agitated because of my own sinfulness that all of the kids were taking their sweet time when we needed to be out the door. So I'm calling upstairs. I'm like, Judah, get down here. And I figured he was grabbing something for God or going pee before a car ride or whatever. And he's like, hold on a sec, dad. And I'm like, Judah, get down here. And he comes and he's like, hey, dad, sorry about that. I was just taking dominion of my bed. And I'm like, so proud, right? So proud. Like if you can connect the expectations you have in your home to the mission of your home, suddenly there's a telos. There's something, there's handles for people to understand whether it's the expectations you have for your wife, expectations you have for yourself, expectations you have for your kids. It all makes sense when it's connected to mission. I have two things to say. One is a little comment. Now I understand why Judah came over to my house and was like, Uncle Chris, take dominion of your leaves. And I'm like, <laughs> yeah, oh, okay. Like, <laughs> I understand where he yeah, got that's that like, from. Yeah, that's right. You're using your kid to chirp me. (laughs) Yes, I am. I did take care of those leaves. The second thing I would say, so like what I'm hearing you say is that the mission always needs to be Christ-centered or else for the people who are listening to our podcast, if if the mission isn't Christ-centered, get away from the dude in the first place. Um, There's no such thing as missionary dating. Once the mission is Christ-focused, the method can change of how you get to the place you're going. But that means everything you guys do in your dating relationship, everything you do in your marriage should be able to draw a straight line to why we're doing this thing to fulfill this other thing of the mission. So I would think then the the practical step there for, for a man would be to evaluate how you're spending your time, your money, your resources, and reevaluate how these things tie into the mission. Right. Practically speaking, so like I would say, now correct me if I'm wrong, but I would say one of the big problems in this way of thinking for men to adjust to will be the idea of... of that fun, like your personal fun, mm. no longer is paramount in your sphere. I'm not saying you can't have it, have any social, time, but it isn't the goal. And I think like um, when men go home after a hard day work, we've cultivated in our culture this idea of women have taken care of the stuff at home. So when I'm done work, I'm done. 
You know what I mean? Like, and I go home and I'm, I'm finished. Like, cause that's her job and this is my job. And it's like, no, no. If the mission of your home is to train up arrows to expand the kingdom, which means then you need to come home even after a long day's work and be even more present with your family. Cause you only get them for two or three hours at that, at that time. So you need to instill all of your teaching uh, in that time. Yeah. A man's life at home ought to be incredibly intentional. And I say that because you're absolutely right. So the first thing I often say to men who have that sort of entitlement complex of sort of like, I worked hard at work and therefore I should come home to a meal that's ready on the table and all that kind of stuff. And we can talk about what wives. I do think wives ought to be homemakers. I think that men ought to try to work and provide in such a way that their wives can be home more and more and more. That might not be the the reality. We live in a, a pretty expensive culture and, and time right now. It might be hard right off the bat, but I do think a man's job ought to be to try to keep his wife home, that she can fulfill her primary calling there as much as possible. So I say that just to say like it's not wrong to want your wife to have laundry done and food on the table and all that kind of stuff. But what I would just say is that your job, like where in scripture when it says for six days a man shall work and on the seventh day he shall rest, where does it tell us that that's a nine hour work day? It doesn't, right? You work from sun up to sundown. It's just a different kind of work. So your work, your service is actually a better translation of that word. Your service, it might be you're serving your family by making money and you go and and you do, we have a a few pilots in our church, we have a few lawyers in our church, like that kind of stuff. So first of all, think through your mission, even in those vocations, right? So I'm a lawyer. Uh, No, 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 I'm a Christian lawyer. I ought to be fighting for right policy. I ought to be fighting for justice. I ought to be trying to change some of the ungodly laws in our world as best we can within your sphere, education, medicine, all of those kinds of things. So whatever vocation God has called you to, remember, your job isn't to be a doctor. Your job is to grow the kingdom within the field of medicine as a Christian doctor, right? Like those are the kinds of distinctions that we have to make first and foremost. But you come home from work and you're not done working. You're done your vocational work and now the the work at home begins you don't just turn on the tv and watch sports you don't just do and i'm not saying there's anything wrong with sports but we even ought to think through our hobbies if i'm telling you that everything you do including your kids making their beds ought to be connected to the mission so too are your hobbies right so for the men who love to golf and they're out golfing five days a week how is spending you know five four-hour rounds of golf away from your family golfing, how is that contributing to your overall mission? And I'm not saying that men can't golf. I'm just saying, think that through that. If you're golf, if you are golfing four times a week, you've suddenly just put in 20 hours of your week into developing a, the skill of hitting a small round ball into a small hole several hundred yards away from you. How has that expanded the borders of Christ's kingdom? And I'm not saying it's not, it can't be done. I'm just saying, even as you cultivate watching sports, like whatever your hobbies are, how are they growing the kingdom? And I get that there are going to be people who say, man, these guys are so hardcore about these things. No, no, it's, it's not about being hardcore. It's that you are not a slave to your passions. We talked about this last time. So you can cultivate different sorts of hobbies, right? So Hey, it might be that when you were a young man, you loved watching baseball, but now you have a young son who's not into sports. 
he's actually more into working with his hands and, and you're an academic. And so you never worked with your hands before. So you know what? Maybe you need to take up woodworking so that you can just intentionally disciple your son while you and him are doing something rather than him going and doing something with his hands while you're sitting there watching the ball game. Again, our life here is a vapor. It's here today, gone tomorrow. What matters is what you do that echoes in eternity to steal a line from Maximus. And so I just think we need to think through hobbies. We need to think through all of those kinds of things. Yeah. Amen. And, and please don't hear us say that you can't ever do any of these things, no. but there, there's a all things in balance kind of thing. And I, I, I think we hit on it in the last episode when we talked about the idea of like being self-controlled, sober-minded, like be self-controlled enough to limit your leisure time until it's appropriate to have leisure time. We've been talking a lot about like kids and, and stuff like that. Means your wife to your 100%. wife too. I could easily, and we've all been guilty of it. We could easily do our own thing in an evening. Totally. You know I mean, like, yeah. watch your true crime or whatever, and I'll sit over here. But like, I know, like, we have to be more intentional to, even if it's leisure time, do the leisure time together because one of the goals of the mission is for us to stay connected. And maybe we should have said this earlier in the episode, but I would say so. One of the goals of marriage is oneness, right? That the two shall become one flesh. And obviously that's talking about intercourse and we'll talk a little bit about the centrality of sex in the next episode. But what I would say is that the goal is oneness, which means you and your wife ought to constantly be coming closer together. So what I would also say, just as I use the example of, of maybe taking up woodworking with your son, you ought to be a student of your spouse, whether that's a husband or wife. You ought to love them enough and care about them enough to be a student of them so that you can be interesting to them. If your husband is super into music and you're not musical at all, then learn some things about music, about his passion, so that you can be an interesting person to talk to about that. See, what happens is that husband and wife get married, she has her interests, he has his interests, and they develop communities around their interests. And then they get needs satisfied that should be getting satisfied in the, in the marriage relationship by other people right? Because they find people with various interests. Husbands, take an interest in the things that your wife cares about. I get that you're never going to care about whether or not you use gray owl or smoky whatever. I have no idea what you're talking about. <laughs> in, your, in your house, like you don't care what the, they both look gray to you. And she's talking about the undertones. I get that you don't care as much, but you have to understand why that matters to her. Why is it that a wife generally cares about what kind of a home she's cultivating more than you? It's because God has created her to be a homemaker and God has created her with the mandate to be hospitable and to bring church family into her home. And so when she creates an atmosphere that she believes is welcoming and comforting to people that you're showing hospitality to, that's a blessing. And so don't just say, oh, that's her thing and not take an interest in it. Take an interest in it. Learn a few things. Ask her what's the difference between, you don't know, ask her what the difference is between the two things. Ask her what the undertone of blue creates in terms of atmosphere rather than the undertone of brown. I don't know what those things are, but my wife does. And so when I ask her those things, it makes me an interesting conversationalist with her. She enjoys her time with me and she does the same thing with me so that I get intellectually stimulated in my marriage, not having to go outside of the marriage, whether that's with guy friends or whatever, in order to get some of those needs satisfied. And so be a student of your spouse, learn what interests them and try to make it so that both of your interests, a straight line can be drawn to the mission of your home. Yeah. And yeah. There's other ways you can do this too. Like, cause like Heather and I've always kind of worked in, in terms like in the house, the like decorating all that stuff. That's, 
That's her department. Yes, honey. However you would like it to look is great for me. I don't like it. it. I'm totally fine with you doing it. However you would like it to look, but outside of the house, I'm taking care of it. Like I don't, I, if I ever see her cutting the grass, I'm going to be very upset. You know what I mean? Like <laughs> that's my area. You talked about last week about like inward focused, outward focused, right? Outward is the outward, like people see the outside of the house. So I've taken the minion out there. She's taken the minion in the house for the purpose of the, of the mission. So like you don't have to become an expert on paint colors or anything like no. that, but that looks nice, honey. Exactly. What made you pick that color? Exactly. Done. You have the right. conversation. Yeah. And then another aspect of this is like, we're to take the lead in, in a lot of things. So she should see you doing your devotions. You should be yes. taking the lead in, in your yes. prayer life. You should be taking the lead in family worship because even though she's inward focused, you're still the spiritual head in, in that Amen. relationship, which also means that like, so I'm presupposing there's, we're talking to a Christian couple here, which means however your devotional life looks, what you've read today, she should probably hear about. You, 100%. Mean, you should probably tell her, here's what I picked up today in, in my reading. And then did you have any questions about what you read or anything like that? Like yeah. little things like that. She might not. And yeah. like you might nine out of 10 times, you might be like, she'd be like, no, it was like, it was, it was great. I read second Peter or whatever. I just picked second Peter, but it's not about the end of the world. Being yeah. able to cultivate that conversation so that it's not awkward when she has a question. It's That's not awkward right. when right. things come up because this is your role. Cause the primary focus is, is her, like we are like Christ of the church, we are to help them be sanctified into the, into the image of the son, which means we need to be there to have those answers when she has questions or get the answers. Cause I'm not saying everybody's going to be a theologian. Right. And that brings up a great point. I, I ask some of these questions sometimes when I start doing marriage counseling with people who have been married and, and I'll say, if your wife came to you and said, honey, I really need prayer for this. Would it be awkward for you to pray for her right then and there? And men, you would be shocked. Well, you probably wouldn't be because you've been in pastoral ministry for a little while now. Just how many couples just don't pray together? They don't pray out loud together. And so it would be weird for that to take place. So then husbands, like if your wife needs prayer, it is a problem if she is more comfortable asking a female friend from church to pray for her than you, right? Like that's just weird. Similarly, as you said, if she has a theological question, is her first instinct to go to her pastor or her small group leader, or is her first instinct to go to you? Because your job, your role, there's a great book on this by uh, Vadi Bakum called Family Shepherds. You are the pastor of your home, first and foremost. God has still given you a pastor. You're a part of a church family as well. And there's a spiritual shepherd over your soul who will give an account to God for how well they've shepherded your soul. But you are the primary pastor of the home. That doesn't mean that there's not going to be a theological question you don't have an answer to, and and you can go get the answer for her or whatever. But if your wife has a theological question and she cannot come to you, that tells me a whole lot about your study and your lack of theological understanding, your lack of pursuing understanding God and his word. The pastoral ministry is to equip the saints to do the work of the ministry. Amen. It is kind of our job for the men to come back. I don't have an answer to this. Help me understand. What should happen, though, is the, the woman should be able to go to her to her husband to get that answer. And if he can't get it, that, that's just openness. Be like, I don't know. Let's work it through together or let's yeah. let's figure it out. Sometimes I would even add another thing. Women, that also means you can't be going to your dad either. Now we're talking to younger married couples. I think this is a big thing that happens. It is, yeah. Um, where women have a hard time transferring leaving the authority. Right, yeah, transferring the authority. You made the, the comment earlier about like your daughter's 
the guy better have a better plan for their lives than you do. You know what I mean? Like, yeah. but it's like that, there's, that'll be a tough thing to do if they have, if they've married poorly. You know there's I mean? a like, reason at weddings that, that we don't say who gives this woman to be married to this man. And, and we don't do the, her mother and I do no, no, no. Her mother has nothing to do with this part of, of it. This has to do with asking the father, do you give this daughter to this man? Because there's a transfer of authority there that is significant. She is coming under your federal headship and being transferred to someone else's federal headship. That's a big deal. Mm -hmm. And so we ask, who gives this woman to be married to this man? And the proper response is, I do. And as her covenant head, as her father, I give her to this man. That is a transfer of authority. And so women, if you are not ready to come under the federal headship of the man that you're marrying, you're not ready to marry him or he's not worthy to marry. So yeah, that's absolutely true. The other thing I would say is that husbands, you ought to be thinking through cultural issues, not just from your own perspective, but you ought to be thinking through cultural issues for your wife, Mm. right? So when things happen in the culture, my wife and I deal with it differently, right? When there's high wickedness in the world, right? So like, for example... Um, There's something that happened recently in a school near us where they're implementing the whole transgender washrooms thing. There's some disciplinary stuff. Now, our kids aren't in the public school system. I have a good and godly wife who's homeschooling our kids. But what was interesting is that as I'm talking to her about that, you can imagine my response, Chris. I get worked up. I get angry. Right. And so I, I, yeah, so I just want to talk about how wicked it all is and the roots of the sin that has worked its way into this, you know, righteous anger. Yeah. The, the, the the worship of Ishtar, you know, the goddess of sex, like all this stuff. Right. That's my response. You know what Colleen's response is? She immediately worries about what would happen if that was our kids. Right. Like what would happen if our kids, you know, because she talks to other women in our church, she, she does some sort of like counseling kind of, she would never call it counseling to women in our church whose kids have sinned in sexual sin. Her mind immediately goes to that because she's the nurturer. Right. And so women's minds are by design more anxious than men's. And that doesn't mean men can't struggle with anxiety. They certainly do. But Husbands, that means one of your roles is to help your wife think through cultural issues. And you're to think through them, not just in a masculine way, but also in a feminine way. Not so that you're thinking femininely, but so that you can be of help to your feminine wife to think through issues like that. So all of this comes down to men, know your purpose, know your place, and know that part of your purpose is to bring purpose and mission and direction to the lives of everybody that God has given to you, wives, children, etc. Amen. All right. That good for there? Love it. All right. Come back next time. We're going to talk about sex.